my name is David Weed. I'm one of the elders here. Thank you. Yes. Thanks. I've got Sandy, my personal fan. <laughs> uh, my name is David Weed. I'm one of the um, uh, elders here at, uh, at church. And so Steve asked me to uh, come this morning and, uh, and speak. We are continuing in a message on hope. Uh, that Steve has been uh, uh, walking us through, and he will be uh, back next week to continue in that uh, in that vein. So uh, I'm going to be speaking. Um, and one of the things that I'm going to speak to from this morning, uh, I, I'm not a, a pastor here. Like I said, I'm on the elder team. Uh, my day job is that I work as a firefighter, and that's an important thing to note because I'm going to be speaking at some points from the perspective of Life in the fire service, and 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 from the perspective of, of being a firefighter. So, um, uh, if if you're new here, just so you have that little caveat before we get going. What I want to talk about today is I want to talk about uh, um, what do we do when the clicker doesn't work? Um, <clears throat> the uh, why is it, why is hope so hard? Why is it that when we we get into situations, all of a sudden our circumstances change? Why is it that it seems like oftentimes the first thing that evaporates is our hope, uh, and 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 all of a sudden it just seems like it's 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 hopeless. There's no way I'm going to make it through this, uh, and and it's dry as can be, and we feel like this guy up here, the dark cloud moves in, and I'm holding a broken umbrella that is not going to offer any kind of of shelter from my circumstance I'm I'm about to bring to, to it. Now, some of what we bring to the table by way of our personality may color some of that. So, for example, what... um, uh, There you go. What, What Winnie the Pooh character do you identify with? And, and if you're a, a, a scholar of Winnie the Pooh, then uh, you realize that they all have very, very distinctive personality traits that, um, th- that color who they are. So, of course, Winnie the Pooh himself, he's a very, uh, you know, simple, he's pretty much got one thing that he's after, and that's honey. And, and if things go in that direction, great. If, if it doesn't, that's okay, we'll just kind of go about it next. You've, of course, got Tigger, your classic ADD. He's moving far too quickly to get bogged down on anything. He's just barreling right through. you got Rabbit that likes structure. Everything needs to be a certain way and structured, and it's best if that doesn't get interrupted. That, that's kind of the best. Um, I, I love Piglet, just kind of easily frustrated, but just kind of, you know, flittering about uh, here and there. Owl, now Owl's an interesting character because Owl is somebody who always has an answer, even if he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, we typically won't pick Al as the one that we identify with, but we certainly all know people that, you know, it's like, yeah, that person's an Al. That's, that's the one, okay? And then everybody loves Eeyore. Nothing good could possibly come out of this. It's most likely going to fail. But if you notice Eeyore, at least he's willing to go along with whatever everybody else is doing. He's like, ah, this is not going to work out, but I guess we'll try it anyway. Uh, the classic pessimist in the, in the situation. And uh, what we realize is in addition to our personalities we bring into it, there's other things as well. There's our past experiences. There's our past training or our teaching that, that, that makes up who we are. And then if certainly there's our emotions. And typically these are the things... Uh, that kind of help us understand how are we going to go through difficult times. And then the question is, well, where does hope fit into all this? Um, now, this is something that uh, not only do, uh, many people uh, ask the question of uh, how does this work, but there's actually a lot of experts on this topic. Um, 
part of my role in the fire service is I, I do some investigations and, and all that stuff. But one of the big things that we try and do is keep firefighters alive. That's kind of an important thing. It's a dangerous job. It's a, it can be a stressful job. Uh, and so it's nice to keep them alive. And, and the idea of whether it's a firefighter or a police officer or, or you know, one of our uh, armed forces, they go into dangerous situations, and how are they going to make it through that? So the experts have been doing a lot of study on that, and uh, a couple of books that I have uh, found to be very valuable on this topic, um, uh, I don't necessarily recommend reading them because they're really boring, but um, uh, one is called Deep Survival, Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why? Uh, that's a nice light reading for you. And, uh, and the other one, uh, uh, The Field Guide to Understanding Human Error. And, and what these books are about is they're saying when you're in like the worst of the worst situations, how is it that some people go through it and other people don't make it? What is the internal thing going on that, that, that separates the survivors from the not survivors? And although that's the extreme of, you know, people that, you know, are in a truly life and death situation, the exact same principles apply to whether you're just in a difficult spot in your life. How can I maintain hope to continue working through it? Now, there's an even better book than those two on how to get through it. And it's this one right here. Uh, it's the Bible which has a lot of information in there about how do we process difficult times and maintain hope as we go through it. Uh, and so we're going to look at a couple of these uh, real quick. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time uh, focusing on these. So if, uh, if you want for future reading, jot down the, uh, the Bible passages and, and go back this week and take a look at them. But uh, certainly right off the bat, Psalm 25 uh, is where we, we uh, read that in you, Lord, I, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come to those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. And then get this, verse 5. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Another psalm that we uh, see the same theme is Psalm 62. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And then down in verse 5 we pick it up. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Significant, significant words. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times and people pour out your hearts to Him for God is my refuge. And we see again, as, as Zach even led us in worship this morning and, and laid out, it's, it's being tied to God. He is our rock. And when Jesus was uh, teaching, and of course He used the parable of the storm and building your house on sand versus building your house on rock. And he said, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat at that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And we know as we go through the Bible that we can anchor ourselves to the rock of our Lord. And that can be our hope and our source. And then there's the great story of the disciples being sent on ahead of Jesus and a storm came up. And uh, the disciples are very afraid. These are our seasoned fishermen, so it's got to be one doozy of a storm. And Jesus came to them walking on the water. 
And Peter said, is that you, Jesus? And he said, sure, jump on out. Come on over here. And Peter did. And uh, Peter was walking on the water until what happened? Well, it says Matthew 14 in verse 29. And then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came forward, uh, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Now, that is a story that many of us are very familiar with. We have been learning that story since about five years old. And the, the, the takeaway from that story is, don't get distracted by what? The storm. Keep your eyes fixed on what? Jesus. Don't get distracted by the storm. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And we get that. We, we get that embedded in us. But sometimes our experience, our training, and our emotions betray us. We can come to church week after week, We can read our Bibles day after day. We read the Psalms. We we read these things and we go, yes, I get it. All I have to do is just keep my eyes focused on Jesus. And then a storm comes. And it distracts us. Now, experience tells us, I've survived before, I can survive again. So if I go through the same set of circumstances that I went through before, I can survive that because I've done it before. And that works out great. So what I mean by that is, Once we've learned how to not get distracted by the storm and how to focus on Jesus, then the next storm that comes along, what do we do? We focus on Jesus and things are going great until there's an earthquake. Because nobody said anything about earthquakes. It was all about don't focus on the storm, focus on Jesus. But this is not a storm. This is an earthquake. And so what happens? Everything falls apart. And we're right back to the, there's no hope, we're all going to die, Eeyore in us just comes right out front and center again. Until we realize, wait a minute, if I focus on Jesus, I can get through earthquakes. Now, typically, it's after we've already gone through it once, right? So the next earthquake that comes, I am ready to go. And then what happens? A volcano erupts. Nobody say anything about volcanoes. And we're right back in it, aren't we? And the next time, because I don't have any experience with volcanoes. I've got experience with storms. I've got experience with earthquakes, but I don't have experience. So all of a sudden, all the circumstances change. My experiences are for nothing. And I'm right back to there's no hope. We're not going to make it through this. And then even if you get used to the volcanoes in life, then you know what ends up taking you out? Something as simple as a hangnail. And it all goes black right then and there. This is, a, this is a true story. It happened to me. Uh, when I was on a fire ground, house fire, the idea is to go in, put water in the fire, put the fire out, you know, make sure there's nobody in there, all that stuff. Uh, and as I'm connecting up hoses, getting ready to go in, I split my fingernail. And it hurt. So I'm thinking, ow, ow, that really hurt, that really hurt. So I'm all packed up, I'm all masked up, I'm all ready to go. We're going to the front door. I, I, I meet the rest of my crew. I put on my glove. And it rubs against my split fingernail. That really hurts now. So I tell the other two guys on the hose line, ready to go in, hey, I'm out. I have a broken fingernail. I can't go in there. (laughs) Now, that was met with a lot of silence by those two. 
And although I couldn't really see their faces because of our masks that we wear, their eyes got about this big around and just utter stunned. And I, I don't know what they were quite thinking. Um, but I'm, I'm like sitting there going, really, it's, I'm out. I, I'm done. I've, I've had it. I just, a, a broken fingernail just brought me to my knees. Um, I even took my glove off. I mean, I'm even like, look, see, it's, it's broken. Okay. Ow. You guys go in. I'm going back to the truck. Okay. I'll see you later. All right. So, um, it's what we call cumulative stress. Meaning it's not always the huge things in life. And even sometimes you can get yourself set for like, yeah, when that storm comes, baby, I'm ready. And it's not the storm that takes you down. It's the little things that steal our hope. And it's maybe one little thing on top of another little thing on top of another little thing. The proverbial, the straw that broke the camel's back. It's that all of a sudden you pile them up and what ends up taking you out and getting you to the point of saying, these circumstances are so difficult, I want out. There's no hope. Now, what are those other two guys on the hose line thinking right now? They're thinking, you're an idiot. I mean, they're, just, <laughs> they're thinking, really, you broke a fingernail and you're not going to go in and fight the fire? That's it? Okay, but what was I thinking? Well, everything up until this point has gone wrong and I'm done. And that's oftentimes what ends up taking us out. Our experiences can really get the best of us. And what about our training? Our training can betray us as well. Because we can become overconfident in our own abilities and yet ignore the environment around us. We see that a lot in mountaineers. Whenever you study a mountaineering uh, accident, what what do you always hear? What do they always say? They were experienced climber. They had been doing it for 30 years. Something went wrong. It was a freak accident. Well, they were highly trained. That's great. They're relying on their training. That's great. Guess what? Mountains are huge. And we oftentimes need to realize we're no match for Mother Nature. And they got in trouble because their training had, had, had betrayed them. And how about our emotions? Can our emotions betray us? Absolutely. If you look at some of the highest trained people in the military, fighter pilots, okay, these are some of the highest trained people in all the military, and their job is to take an aircraft and land it on a floating boat that's bobbing up and down in the ocean. They do it all the time. They do a great job of it. But what I've been told is that it's pretty terrifying, no matter how many times you do it, to take this essentially rocket full of explosive fuel and land it on a bobbing little deck. And so every time you land, you let out a deep sigh and go, I'm safe, that's good. Once you're on the deck. As you're coming in, you're thinking to yourself, I just need to get down there to that deck and I'll be safe. But what happens when something goes wrong? What happens when you're coming in for a landing and you know things are about to go horribly wrong and they do? What happened? Now, this guy survived. He lived. The only thing he did was he, I guess he burnt his ears a little bit. He actually survived. What went wrong? Well, here's the interesting thing about it. This guy is highly trained as they get. Highly, highly trained. He's coming in too low. And as coming in too low, he sees the warning signs that I'm too low. 
What's his emotionally what's is going on? I need to get on the deck. There's a guy standing on the deck that can see he's coming in too low and he's yelling into the radio, you're too low, you're too low. What is his training telling him? When you're too low, punch the engine, pull up, get out of there, fly around, try it again. This guy's been trained to do that ever since he ever first time he sat, got sat in the cockpit of that plane. Not only that, there's a light on the back of those aircraft carriers that's controlled by the guy standing on the, uh, the aircraft carrier, the landing officer. And the light is, this is not going well. Boom, he hits the light. That tells the pilot, abort, abort, abort. So he can see himself, he's too low. The abort light pops on and he's getting screamed at into his headphones. Go around, go around. And what did he do? He flew into the back of the boat. Why? Because his emotions took over for his training. That's the outcome of when you study why do pilots crash into the back of, of aircraft carriers. It's because their emotional response, get on the deck at all cost, you'll be safe, overwhelms the training of, I've been trained what to do in this situation, just put the emotions aside and go on. But isn't that hard for us to do? Isn't it hard for us to take our emotions and put them over here to rely on the training? Especially when I just said training can betray you because it can help you, you know, think that you're, you're maybe in a situation that, uh, that you shouldn't be in or whatever. But stress plays an interesting role in our body. Lawrence Gonzalez in that book, um, Deep Survival, says this. He says, stress makes us narrowly focus on things that they consider important. And it may be the wrong thing. Interesting. Now, how does God respond to us? Well, there's a lot of reasons for us to lose hope. There's a lot of reasons why we lose hope. But God has some answers, as we can see. Certainly, the very familiar Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. God's right there with us. There are some other examples in the Old Testament of God meeting people right where they were at. The uh, story of Hagar and Ishmael. If you remember, Sarah and Abraham were promised a, a child, but it wasn't happening on their timing. So Sarah said, hey, Abraham, I have this servant here. Why don't you sleep with her? You can have kids through her. And he did. And that didn't go well either. And then all of a sudden there was all this animosity because Hagar got pregnant and she was mistreated by Sarah. And so she ran away from that situation. And in verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Interesting that it was the Lord that was pursuing Hagar. She ran away and he came after her. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, why have you, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Now, she'd been horribly mistreated. But the answer was, go back and submit. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You see, God was right there with Hagar. Although, notice, what didn't he do? He didn't take her out of the situation. He pushed her back in. Also, how about Joseph? And the cupbearer. Remember, Joseph is in prison. Cupbearer and the baker are thrown in prison with them. They have a, uh, uh, 
a dream and Joseph interprets the dream and he says one he is going to go back to the, uh, the, the palace, the other one is going to be executed. Uh, the cupbearer was the one that got to go back to the palace and Joseph said, remember me when you get out. And it says in verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two years, when two full years had passed, and then it goes on to say that then Pharaoh had a, a dream and the cupbearer's like, oh, that's right, there's this guy down in the dungeon. We should go talk to him. Two years. Now, was the Lord with Joseph during that time? Yes, but did he choose to pull him out of it? No, he didn't. He meets us where we're at, but he uses his timing for his purpose. Now, that statement right there, his timing for his purpose, is a whole message unto itself, which is going to happen next week. So come back. Okay? But there was, uh, today we're just talking about why is it so difficult. But there's a real smart guy out there. His name's Albert Einstein, and he said this In the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. So let's remember that. In the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. Now, can we learn from others? You may recognize the, the, the person up there. That is uh, Louis Zamperini. One of the things that I like about Hebrews 11, hang, hang tight on this one real quick, is that it starts out by saying, faith is assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And then the rest of the chapter is about all the great things that the people in the Bible did. The great pillars of faith. But if you take each one of those stories out of there, you realize they went through great suffering, great trials, great tribulations. But they're being honored in what's called the Hall of Fame of the Bible because they endured through it. Do we have examples like that in our lifetime? Yes. If you're not familiar with this man, he was, uh, a book was written about him. The book was called Unbroken. There's a movie coming out very soon uh, that is about him. You're going to be hearing a lot about him. Now, Louis was uh, uh, assigned to uh, World War II. He was in a plane that was shot down, spent 47 days on a raft. He was rescued by the Japanese, which means he was sent straight to the prisoner of war camps. Now, he was an Olympian. He was an Olympic runner. That's the picture of him up there in his younger days at the Olympics. So, of course, the Japanese knew exactly who he was, and so he became the target of lots and lots of abuse. He was singled out by one especially cruel jailer, Mitsuhiro Watanabe, who took it upon himself to make life as miserable for Louis Zamperini as possible. After the war... Louis wrote a letter to his jailer. And the letter reads as this. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. How's that for a letter? To someone that spent years beating you and torturing you. 
the reason that the story of Louis Zamperini is worthy of being put into a book and being worthy of being made into a movie is because of how it ends. He endured through it. And I love that line up there. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the world's end. But what did he do? He maintained enough hope to make it work. There's another World War II officer that also had to endure a lot of stuff. You've probably never heard of this one. His name's George Schatz. He was a doctor in uh, West Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, just, you know, married, two adopted daughters. Uh, worked at just being a general doctor to the community. And he ended up deciding that uh, he needed to support his country. And in his late 30s, right around 38, 39, he went to join the war effort. Now, due to his German heritage, because he you know, was born in Germany and was very much German, of course, they were not going to send him to the European campaign. So where did they send him? They sent him to the Pacific campaign. He was assigned to the 164th Infantry. That's the infantry that is made up of people from North Dakota. Uh, and they were the first infantry to land on a place called Guadalcanal. They're the first ones to step foot. Major Schatz is the company surgeon. He's the doctor. It's his job to keep the men alive, keep them uh, getting them patched together, and keep, keep them uh, safe as much as possible. On November 3rd, 1942, the Battle of Coley Point began. Now, the Battle of Coley Point is you've got the 164th Infantry plus a Marine Division. The, the, the 7th Infantry is, is, all, is all sitting there. Uh, and all of a sudden, they look off and they see the Japanese landing. Over 3,000 of them. This may not go well. Uh, and the Japanese intent is take Guadalcanal. That's, that's the whole purpose. Guadalcanal is, is a significant, significant piece to the whole Pacific campaign for both sides. Well, of course, the 164th began taking fire. And uh, Major Schatz, he says, you know, the, the, what really took out many, many people was the shrapnel from the bombs, from the mortar, from the artillery. Uh, and that's what was really causing so much of the, uh, the damage to the people. And at one point, there was four men of the 164th Infantry that were injured, pinned down by the enemy. And there was little hope that they were going to survive. So, Major George Schatz, a surgeon, where are, the, where are the surgeons supposed to be? Yeah, you wait back there, we'll bring you the wounded, right? Major George Schatz grabbed his Jeep driver, drove into enemy fire, and grabbed the four guys. By the way, that's Major George Schatz in the middle right there. The one standing up, facing that way, saluting. Now, surgeons are, are not supposed to be on the front lines. They're not supposed to be driving into enemy fire. They're not supposed to be rescuing people. But George Schatz did. That picture you see up there is him receiving the silver star for his actions. That is on the grounds of Guadalcanal. And they awarded him the silver star for his heroism. Was it tough? You bet. You know what was tougher? 
You know who the men were that he was fighting with? The boys from his town. He was what? The doctor. So who's he putting back together? Well, people he delivered. Remember, he's 40. How, how old is everybody else fighting with him? 18. Yeah. These are families. I mean, these are boys from families that he personally knows. So when there's a death, when there's an injury, he knows how that's going to go over when the army sends a representative to the knock on the door of that family. Now, he eventually returned to Fargo, and the Fargo newspaper ran a feature article on him. This is the first paragraph of the feature article. George Shops, he's major to the army, but he's just plain doc to the, phone, the folks at West Fargo. Leaped off a Northern Pacific train in Fargo Friday, swept his seven-year-old daughter Nancy off her feet in a bear hug, and then began chatting. Only as doc shots can. With a large group of West Fargonians who gathered to welcome the 164th Infantry Regiment surgeon just home from Guadalcanal. Overflowing with his usual pep. Quote, shucks, the Japs just ain't good enough to take that out of me, unquote. Major Shots is somewhat thinner than when he left with the 164th Infantry in February of 1941. What that's talking about is he was a very, very gregarious man. I met him in 1982 when I first met him. Very gregarious. And he says, the enemy could not take that out of me. Couldn't take it out of me at all. Now, he faced other challenges. His daughter Nancy struggled with some mental illnesses for most of her life. He never gave up hope for her. Never, never gave up hope for her family. It was a great example of loving. He and his wife Rose lived into their 80s. Both daughters eventually married and had families of their own, blessing them with six grandchildren. Now, he was one of the most positive people I've ever met in my life. I, I, I loved going and visiting him because he'd always greet you with this big gregarious laugh, a big handshake, uh, and then he'd start talking German, so I don't know. But he was a wonderful, wonderful man. Now, he rarely talked of Guadalcanal. He was involved in many other aspects of World War II. Uh, in fact, he was assigned um, when uh, Rommel's troops were actually brought to Fort Lewis and were interred there as prisoners of war. Um, and uh, that's how he ended up in the Northwest was he became their advocate to help with their medical attention and all that stuff and, and got to meet many of, of Rommel's troops, became personal friends. And many of those troops at the end of the war actually stayed in the Puget Sound area. And those are the stories he would always talk about, but not the pain of, of war. Of being there. Did he have to overcome great challenges? Yes, we all do. Every one of us does. Was dealing with mental illness in the family difficult? Absolutely. Did he give up hope? No, he never did. You know, I only knew him for a few years. It was very sad when he died in 1985. He was well into his 80s. But I get to see glimpses of him from time to time. I see him in my wife, who is one of those six grandkids, and I see it in her brother. See, what George taught us is this. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up hope. Are times bad? Yes, they can be. But don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up hope. One of my favorite movies is Lord of the Rings. 
Love that movie. All of them. There's this quote. That if you're familiar with that franchise, you've heard this. They're going through an epic battle. All, everything is against them. The, the two weakest people of the entire story are the ones that are trying to save the day. And there's no chance they're going to make it or survive. And, and at one point it's like, what is the use? Why are we even trying? And this is the quote from the movie from the character Samwise Gamgee. He says, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come and when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clear. Those were the stories that stayed with you that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now the folk in the stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. At which point, the character Frodo says, what were they holding on to? That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. The question is, are you in a great story? It may not be as glamorous as Louis Zamperini. may not be as glamorous as George Schatz, or even Frodo or Sam. But we're all in a story. Remember, don't quit, don't stop, don't give up. Use your experience, your training, and emotions in balance. It's when experience, training, and emotions get out of balance that we see pilots flying into the back of aircraft. Keep them in balance. See, because experience gives us insight. That's a good thing. Training gives us knowledge. That is too. And emotion gives us intuition. Incredibly valuable. All three are equally as important. This is how we find hope when it seems lost. And this week, we're going to celebrate others who chose not to give up. On November 11th, we celebrate Veterans Day. And I could go on and on of other stories similar to Louis and George, of how veterans have served us and honored us, and despite all odds against them, maintained hope to continue on. Veterans Day is a celebration to honor Americans' veterans for their patriotism, love of country, and willingness to serve and sacrifice for the common good. That's taken right off of military website and explaining what Veterans Day is all about. What did Sam Weiss say? There's something good worth fighting for. And that's what our veterans believe in. And they are to be commended and to be honored. I'm going to ask the veterans to please stand if there are some amongst us this morning. If you're a veteran, would you just stand? people that are standing can tell you far more than I can what it's like to endure difficult times. They've been there. They've lived it. Ladies and gentlemen that were standing, thank you for your service. In honor of your service, 
we have this morning the Snohomish County Firefighters Pipe and Drums that are here for a presentation to honor our veterans.